Geek Nerdery. Episode one, just starting off. Great in the shitter. No, that's all right. Uh, all right, so we're here to talk video games. Uh, welcome to the Graveyard Duck Podcast, episode one. Um, episode one. My name is Scott, and that other sultry voice is. I'm Wes, uh, formerly of Drunken Zombie. So yeah, I think both. Uh, three of you might know that show. <laughs> all, all three listeners that we have by now, which. Yeah. Probably by the time we're up to three listeners, we're on episode like 20 now, you know, and you're That's backtracking. True. Yeah, good point. So, and uh, you're from the last horror cast, obviously. Yep. So we both have our voices out there somewhere in the internet worlds. And, yeah. Uh, yeah, so not not our first go-round, but it's one of those things where um, I'm a giant video game nerd. I know you're a giant video game nerd. And oh, yeah. The more we started talking on text, it's just kind of like, well, this just makes sense. <laughs> Well, that's the thing, too. You know, it had been a little while since I had done uh, Drunken Zombie, and I was kind of just, you know, feeling the itch of, of doing something you know, creative again. And we got to talking about games and specifically retro games. And uh, it's something that, you know, we seem to have pretty similar tastes in games. Um, and I thought, you know what, this this is a perfect idea. So let's just do it. Yeah, and you hit it on the head there by saying, you know, the, the love for the retro gaming, because I... I mean, I'll, full disclosure, episode one, I'll say that I'm not, I, I guess I'm cheating on my retro gaming heritage a little bit because I did just get a Switch this last weekend. And, it's not really you know, cheating. I, 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 yeah, I mean, I suppose. Yeah, I, I was kind of the old, you know, pull my pants up really high and yell at kids on my front lawn kind of guy for a long time. And, yeah. you know, it's, I, I don't own any other modern systems, actually. I've, I'm the kind of person who has... I, I see that there's things to love with, you know, kind of modern generation gaming. And for me, modern generation is like PS1 and 64 and newer. But oh, like okay. none, of, none of it has ever quite hit that same level of love that, you know, I have like for when you talk Atari, NES, Super NES um, mm-hmm. kind of era. And I'm sure nostalgia is a big part of that. And I'm not going to pretend like it isn't. But uh, yeah. See, for me, yeah. I'm, I'm the opposite. I mean, I'm still... Uh, I love retro games and probably more so now that, you know, being an adult and having disposable income, but, um, you know, I've kept up with a lot of the other systems too. Um, you know, PS2, PS3, uh, Wii, Xbox 360, I was big on that. Um, PS4, I play a decent amount, although um, I'm really digging a lot of the Japanese games um, like uh, Yakuza 0 and several other big titles. I have an Xbox One, but it's really only a rock band machine at this point. <laughs> nice. Um, I'm probably one of like ten people that still owns a Wii U and loves it and has a shitload of games for it. So, um, all right, still vested in a lot of gaming, and of course, 3DS, uh, Vita. I think I'm one of the only like eight people have a Vita still. Yeah, uh, I've come very close to buying a Vita multiple times just because I really, really want Dragon Quest Builders, but yeah, I I just can't convince myself to spend the money on a Vita for 
the single game that I would play, even though I know I would love the hell out of it. But <laughs> you know, the uh, the great thing about it is um, it's also a really great um, PS1 as far as the backwards compatibility of well, I shouldn't say backwards compatibility, but uh, being able to download PS1 RPGs. Um, my system is pretty much you know Sukaden two, Sukaden one, Final Fantasy seven, um, shitloads of RPGs that I'll you know be finishing up by the time I'm in a nursing home. So, <laughs> right. Um, not yeah. to turn this into the Vita cast, but um, I guess my main point is, um, you know, growing up with video games, um, it's something that's just never, never left me, and I'm still enthusiastic about them, even though um, a lot of triple A games don't really grab me as much anymore as they used to. But um, you know, there's a ton of great indies out there. There's a ton of great games. So, yeah. Yeah, and I think the uh, you know, kind of like I said, the nostalgia is a big part of my love for the retro. But there's also something that I just really enjoy with the simplicity of it. Sure, um, sure. I, I do own a 3DS and it's basically in my pocket 24 seven. Mm-hmm. Um, I take it with me to work and play it every single day at lunch. And the biggest thing that I love about it is the virtual console idea, you know, and to be able to play old, you know, NES, Super NES games um, mm-hmm. on the go. And I think that another part of what I love about the retro games is that, you know, in a single one hour lunch break, I could play through, you know, the legend of Zelda in its entirety or Mega Man two in its entirety. And sometimes these giant, you know, 70, 80 hour games are fun and I love getting just kind of lost in those worlds, but then there's also something fun about the single session games. And absolutely. Well, and you and I have talked, um, you know, especially, um, I'm still working on dragon quest seven and has, I've been playing it since it came out and I'm at the final dungeon, like 70 hours. So it's like, you know, my lunch breaks, I'm, grinding out Dragon Quest Seven, but then there's times that, yeah, I just fire up, you know, Super Mario 3 or, uh, you know, Castlevania and just kind of run through them real quick. And you yep. hit the nail on the head. I mean, that's the other thing about retro games that's fun is there's not a lot of time investment there. I mean, you can sit down, you know, play through a game in 45 minutes to an hour and get the satisfaction of seeing an ending and, you know, move on. So, Well, and we'll get to this kind of later as we give a review for our main feature tonight, but the... To me, what makes for the perfect video game is one that you you have two sides of the coin. If you want to, you know, really get involved and go, you know, deep and find all the little secrets and get completion, you know, 100% in that, you could spend hours and hours, you know, covering every corner and still find new secrets every time you play. Mm -hmm. But then the other side of the coin is if you wanted to just, you know, kind of speed run it, and I don't mean that in like, you know, professional YouTube video way, but just mm. you want to just kind of blitz through the game, you could probably do it in 45 minutes to an hour. Sure. And I think the game tonight that we're talking about is a perfect example of that because you could play it either way. Oh, um, yeah, absolutely. And it, it depends on the genre, of course, too. But, you know, right. I, I like a game that has, you know, um, some aspects that you can, you know, do different things. But sometimes I like a, a strictly linear approach, you know, and just bang out a, a game in 45 minutes or whatever. So, I don't know. All right, so we've hit, hinted around it. So tonight we were talking about uh, Castlevania II, Simon's Quest, mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. if... It's um, also the, uh, sort of the inspiration for our the name of our show. Yeah, so why don't you explain that to listeners? Because I don't know how many people are going to catch that. Probably not a lot. Um, I don't know. And part of it also is probably uh, because there's so many retro game podcasts out there that um, a lot of the obvious names are taken. <laughs> so... Um, you know, it becomes a thing of what do we call ourselves and, and what do we, how do we differentiate ourselves? Now, um, being a huge fan of retro games, I always, growing up at least, 
I always enjoyed sort of the um, uh, horrible mistranslations that we got in in certain games. And in this case, in particular, Castlevania Two. I think when I was playing it as a kid, this particular line kind of stuck with me because it was just so bizarre. And uh, and basically, you know, one of the um, townspeople tells you to get a silk bag from the graveyard duck to live longer. And I always thought, like, okay, is this is it an actual duck? Is there a duck in the graveyard? Am I looking around for this? Or did they forget to put a period in between graveyard and duck? And, you know, it, it just kind of bizarre. So um, I thought, well, that that seems like a an odd name for a show and, uh, you know, might might be memorable. And so, uh, <laughs> you know, that's, that's kind of where it came from. It was just the graveyard duck. And in later Castlevanias, you would kind of see that pop up as a little Easter egg. Um, I think in uh, one of the DS ones, I think, maybe it was Order of Ecclesia. There was a graveyard duck, and uh, it's been mentioned a couple other times too. So, yeah, I was trying to do some research, finding out the the true story of that, and it's mm. there's nothing that's super clear about it. It's not a yeah, we snoped this mystery and know what it is, but there's it could be a translation thing. It's probably not. It yeah. could be punctuation, maybe, but um, well, this is this is probably getting ahead of ourselves a little bit. But um, one of the things that I read. Um, is that in the original Japanese version, a lot of the clues that uh, the townspeople tell you are actually lies. Yeah. And so townspeople tend to lie a lot. And that could be, you know, maybe a literal translation of a line in the original game, implying that there was a duck of some sort. I don't know. Right. Yeah. And I mean, it's, it, it's so vague because, you know, we'll get to it later, but I mean, there's clues hidden all over the game and, I would say 90% of them are complete bullshit or make mm-hmm. no sense at all. Um, and as a kid, I never knew if that was just to throw you off the scent or if it's a translation thing, but either way it, it works. Mm-hmm. And yeah, when you p- mentioned the graveyard duck idea, I was like, okay, I don't even remember this line because I play through this game so many times, but you know, I don't talk to townspeople anymore because I don't <laughs> yeah. need to. So I, I had to go back and like find the town where this person was. And I'm like, well, no shit, that is real. <laughs> yeah. I see. I, I don't know. It just depends on the playthrough, I guess. But again, like you said, it's um, it, sometimes if you wanted to speed run it, you can. But uh, you know, sometimes it's it's enjoyable to to go through and, and talk to every character, even if you know what they're going to say. It's just uh, for me, I guess, it's just part of you know the the mood and the atmosphere and really getting into the game. I guess. Yep, for sure. Okay, so obviously this is a favorite of both of ours. If we're doing our debut mm-hmm. episode with it, but. Um... I assume you have some pretty good memories of playing this game as a kid. Yeah. Um, you know, one that and it's weird how a lot of my, I guess, because I'm such a big um, gaming nerd, a lot of my memories kind of revolve around video games, I guess. But I can remember playing this for the first time uh, probably in sixth grade. And it's weird, too, because so I had the first Castlevania uh, when it came out, of course, and uh, played that quite a bit. And then I was at... Um, my friend Scott's house, um, he was having a bunch of people over one night and a bunch of people were playing games and we were hanging out where I got a, a ride from my parents that got dropped off for, you know, four or five hours or whatever it was. So we were playing uh, just random games and stuff like that. And I remember my friend Brian coming in and he had Castlevania 2 like, oh, I just got this game. And keep in mind, this is back when there weren't really release dates for games. It was just like, you know, August or September or whenever the hell it shows up. So I just remember like being in awe, like, oh my God, it's Castlevania too. Like, this is amazing. And we threw it in and, you know, this is before really, 
I followed a lot of games, so it's like I expected it to be like the first game. Well, and this was before we knew anything about franchises, so sure, sure. we didn't we didn't have expectations of what a sequel would be, nor did we ever think like a game would make a sequel. So that's true. Yeah, and the sequels that did come out were, you know, completely different from the first game. Right. Um, whether it be Zelda two, Super Mario two, I mean, you know, the NES has sort of this history of the second game being sort of the black sheep or trying something different. And then the third game kind of goes back to what made the first game popular and kind of expand on that. So I was actually going to bring that up later. I call it the trilogy theory, but yep, it's yeah. absolutely true. Yeah. So I remember playing this, um, you know, we fired it up for a little bit and, you know, you start off in this town and I'm thinking, okay, there's, you know, multiple levels I can go up and down. There's people you can talk to and there's, you know, things you can purchase. And it's almost like, you know, an adventure game, uh, which is really cool. But I don't remember playing a whole lot more of it um, because I remember like having to go back home at that point. So it wasn't until um, probably a few months later when I I began renting it um, and kind of playing through it from there. So nice. Yeah. What about yourself? Uh, This was definitely the first Castlevania I ever played. Hmm. Um, And I would have been maybe seven or eight. Okay. Um, and we had just moved and moved into a neighborhood that had, you know, tons of kids my age all over the place. Mm-hmm. And that was also like the same year I got my NES. Um, and yeah, a friend of mine had some games and I don't remember exactly the ones he had, but the three that stand out were Jaws, Friday the 13th, and <laughs> this. Oh, man. Um, and yeah, I was over at his house one time and he was playing it. He must have just gotten it. And I didn't know what Castlevania was. I had never played the first one. Mm. I just saw this and just got so completely sucked into the just the aesthetic, the look. Sure. You know, I was used to playing, you know, Super Mario Brothers, Legend of Zelda. And, you know, those games are, you know, great and beautiful, but they're also very simple in their graphics. Mm-hmm. And I remember, you know, in this game scene as he's he can move left and he can move right. Mm-hmm. Um you get outside and there's like these mountains in the background. And I'm just like, this is amazing. And there's multiple towns. There's people you can talk to. Like you said, there's just so many directions you can go and things to do. And it just, it it seems so weird to say that, you know, in an era of Skyrim and breath of the wild, but it's like, this game was huge. Mm -hmm. And to just be overwhelmed by that. And then as you're playing, all of a sudden it goes from day to night and it's like, Oh, the enemies changed and like things are different. The music is different. And there's, it it was a completely mind blowing experience for a seven year old to watch this game being played to just think like, this is the most grand thing I've ever seen in my life. (laughs) Um, Yeah. And it, it didn't take long for me to pick it up. I don't actually remember buying it, which means that it had to have been one of the first titles I ever owned. Um, Hmm. And yeah, it's been one of my absolute favorites. I put it on my top five list of, you know, five best games of all time and still play through it, you know, at least once a month and have for the last 20, 30 years. Yeah. I I tend to play it. uh, I play through about once a year usually, um, except for, you know, in, in preparation for the show, I think I've played through it more in the past probably week or so um, than I have in a long time. And I know you've played it quite a bit more as well. I did five playthroughs in the last two weeks. <laughs> Good Lord. Good Lord. <laughs> Let me ask you this. Um, getting back to um, what you're talking about as far as um, just being blown away by the concept um, of it. Mm-hmm. Do you uh, remember playing Metroid before you played Simon's Quest? 
Yes, Metroid was the very first NES game I ever played. Okay. It was at Sears. They had an NES set up with like multi-game, you know, selection, mm-hmm. and I couldn't figure out what to do. I couldn't figure out how to open the first door. Uh, but technically, Metroid was the first game I played. <laughs> yeah. The only reason I was asking is because I mean, you can see that Simon's Quest borrowed so much from Metroid as far as the design of the game, and I think right. they were only it was about a year apart. I think. Because I think Metroid released in 86, I want to say, in Japan. And then in uh, Japan as well, I think Simon's Quest was 87. And then we didn't get it until 88, I think. Well, because you got to figure, I mean, the Famicom came out in 83. And then we didn't get it until probably Christmas of 85, I think, would have been the time. So then 86, probably for the the full launch. But I I need to go. I need to go downstairs and get my... For Christmas, I got that. Uh, you seen that Nintendo Power book that was the like history of Nintendo Power and the Nintendo. I, I think you showed me a little bit of that. Early yeah, time. it's yeah, amazing. It myself, and it, but... it has timelines of release dates, at least for the Nintendo licensed okay. games, yeah. uh, third parties not included. But yeah, side recommend for people to go buy that book mm. if you can still find it. Yeah, that's a good one. Um, another one that's not really a book, but um a youtube series that's really good um if you haven't looked at it called crontendo uh where they chronologically go through all of the games from uh release date it's kind of interesting jeez uh there's shitloads of episodes of that so uh that's that's my little plug for that but um dude really does his research so that's cool but um getting back to the the japanese release of this um with it being on the famicom disc system i mean obviously the first game in japan came out on the fds as well but just looking back on the history of it, it seems like this was a really big title for the Famicom disc at the time, I think. Um, just because, you know, there there were some games that were coming out for it, but then as the cartridges got bigger and, you know, the, the manufacturing costs got less, then you started to see less Famicom discs. So I just think it's kind of interesting, I guess, um, that Castlevania 2 would be um, on that system, I guess. Yeah, that's that's a good point. I never thought about that. And, you know, and and my experience with the Famicom isn't huge. Um, mm. Did my homework and played through it a couple of times on the Famicom mm. version, so I was able to see the differences. And um, yeah, and there are, yeah. there are a significant amount. I mean, not a you know not a huge amount, but it's definitely different enough that um, I guess as a fan, it's it's really worth checking out both of them. Right. So, yeah, the the differences are are kind of start or uh, startling. Um, you wouldn't think that there would be that much, but mm-hmm. as and and I know that some of the games like the Famicom versus NES, like not that many differences. Um, a lot of times, it's even less so when you go, you know, U.S. versus Europe. But mm-hmm. in this case, I was kind of keeping notes as I did playthroughs of both, and there's there's quite a few. Um, yeah. Okay. Well, why don't we, uh, uh, why don't we jump right in and um, see what uh, what differences did you discover? Uh, I took note of basically four. Um, the first one is obviously the soundtrack mm-hmm. is significantly different. The yeah. the Famicom just didn't have the memory to be able to do near as much in terms of the audio rendering. I think so, I think it's more of a disc system thing, more than likely. Because okay, uh, yeah, that's that's true. So yeah, from a lot of the FDS games that I have, I mean, some of them they just there's not enough memory on there to make it sound as good as well, and you don't have the custom chips that you would have on a cartridge, I guess, too. Right. Yeah. Right. So it is definitely different. It's a lot higher pitched and a little bit tinny. It, that's exactly what I was going to say. It's tin. Um, and like I, I know you had said earlier that you didn't like it as much. 
Um, I actually kind of prefer the Famicom soundtrack. Okay. It's it's not as rich and it's it feels a lot more hollow. Mm-hmm. Given the theme of the game, where it's you know this haunted world, uh, it it has that very haunted sound, and yeah. I think it it, okay. it fits with this theme. If this were like you know Mario, I don't think it would work as well. But for something like a Castlevania, where you are cursed and it's going from day to night, like mm-hmm. I thought that kind of just hollow haunted music like worked better. Okay, that's interesting. I didn't even think about it that way. Um, some of the other sound effects that just aren't quite there, like it really threw me back the first time I threw holy water and it didn't make a little, you know, shattering sound when it hits the ground. I'm like, well, wait, something's missing here. Like, <laughs> yeah. And that's such a weird omission, I think. Mm-hmm. And I don't know why that's not there, but especially if yeah. you're, you're trying to find, you know, hidden passages and break blocks with water. There's just no, um, there's no reward for that. I, you don't hear You don't have a, an audio clue or anything i guess yeah it's like that satisfying crunch when you you know bite into something good like (laughs) it right like a holy water bottle right um on this on the low uh topic of the music the other thing that you know is minor but it is noteworthy is that uh when you when you come up to one of the mansions in Mm -hmm. the famicom version the music switches to the mansion song from the outside whereas Mm -hmm. in the nes it's not till you go in um, I really, I, that's one thing that I like about the NES version is that they changed that because I like the fact that in the NES one, when you enter the mansion, the music changes and it's the mansion music and the, leading up to it, it doesn't, it's just not the same. Yeah. It's, I don't know that I had a real strong opinion one way or another. It's just something that I noticed. And mm-hmm. um, I think the two biggest differences though, and this is, you know, definitely going to affect gameplay. And this is where, at least for me, I come down on which version I like better, but the the Famicom version has a save function. Yeah. Um, yeah. So when you start the game, system you, game. So like every almost every disk system game lets you save on it. Right. Um, so when you start the game, you actually you know ent- enter your name. Um, which the the cool feature of that is that you know c- considering we haven't even talked about it yet, but like part of the story of this is you defeated Dracula at the end of Castlevania, but you've suffered a mortal wound you're mm-hmm. now cursed and you have basically a week to resurrect dracula by collecting his body parts and destroying him for real mm-hmm. um so the cycle of day to night is important in terms of there's multiple endings that you can get which mm-hmm. we'll talk about here soon i'm sure um but it's it's kind of cool that with the famicom version your you know three name entries like they have a little thing that says you've been playing for this many days and hours and whatever and it kind of mm-hmm. keeps track of how far along you are um that is a nice plus. So that's that's kind of a cool little thing that uh, if you play over multiple sessions to just kind of see, you know, the tracking of how long someone's been playing, or if you're going like full length and going for a hundred percent completion, like okay, how screwed am I? Like how super right. cursed am I now? <laughs> but, yeah. and, you know, one thing that is nice about the saving is it eliminates the possibility that you would write down a letter of the password wrong. Which happened every single time I wrote down a password as a kid. Exactly. Yeah. And every password, you know, was 16 to 32 characters. So it's like you had to make sure that you got your zeros and your O's right. Uh, You know, I can't even think about how many different little scraps of paper were all over my game room when I was a kid that just had passwords to to this game or that game or whatever. And I'm sure I'm still finding them when I dig through old books. It's like, oh, this bookmark is a password to this. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that is a nice thing about the Famicom disc, though, is just being able to save it, be done with it, and load it later on. Um, Yeah, the downside to that, though, is that 
and this kind of goes back to the memory issue, is that uh, you have loading times between yes. a lot of the screens, mm -hmm. which is very, very mind-numbing and tedious. And sure. I, I, I think for me, that right there is the difference between why I like the NES version better than the Famicom. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, especially if, you know, like in my case, sometimes where, you know, you want to get a little bit, shave a little bit off your time by jumping a lot more. And there'd be times that I would jump off the screen and then in the next screen, I would land on a skeleton, which would then bounce me back to the other screen. <laughs> but I had to wait for it to load again. And, you know, it's just like, are you kidding me? This is terrible. Yeah, the worst The worst is when you... There's only one spot in the game, or maybe two, where you actually have to switch between side A and side B of the disc. Mm -hmm. And a, cu a couple to. of times... I've crossed that line. I'd be like, oh, this wasn't the way I needed to go. Damn it. Now I got to flip the disc back over to go back. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Got to love the disc flipping. So, um, yeah, I think all in all, I come down on the the side of the NES, but uh, mm -hmm. I, I like that soundtrack for the Famicom. So. Sure, sure. I, I like the fact that they were able to improve upon the soundtrack and kind of enrich it a little bit more on the cartridge, but that's just, uh, that's me. But maybe that's also, too, because uh, I'm more used to that. And right. I don't know. Um, it's just a little, the, the FDS one's just a little too shrill for my taste. Yeah. I don't, I don't know if I would want to listen to it, you know, regularly. Like mm -hmm. I, uh, I, I, obviously I love the soundtrack of the NES and, you know, bloody tears is the um, alarm sound that I wake up to every morning on my phone. Oh, sure. So, <laughs> um, and, and that one, you know, it's, it's got the extra percussion to it. It's a little bit more, you know, meaty. I don't know that I would want that tinny, shrill version. Like, that might be a little nerve-wracking nerve in the morning. <laughs> it might wake you up in the morning. Right. <laughs> um, I want to go back and just touch on something real quick that you kind of mentioned um, was something about the atmosphere. And mm -hmm. um, something I've always felt that Castlevania II has done really well is um, is the sense of the atmosphere and that everything seems a lot more desolate in this game. Oh, yeah. Just the way that it's done, you know, you start off in the town, there's people walking around and, you know, they're obviously aware that there's monsters out there and there's, um, you know, a, a lot of things have happened and, you know, the mansions are, are desolate and they're just overrun by skeletons and monsters and everything. And I think that's something that this game has always done really well is just kind of have that feeling of, uh, you know, sort of that, that dark, second chapter i guess you know you you did defeated dracula in the first game but you know it's not all sunshine and roses in fact it's uh it's much worse and i think that's something that i've always enjoyed on playing through this game is that just that sense of desolation and uh uh i don't know the fact that there's something lurking behind the corner, I guess. Well, and you feel that more if you, you know, a, as you play through it, and if you kind of think of this as one, you know, long elaborate story, because mm -hmm. the, I mean, all in all, I think there are seven towns total. Mm -hmm. um, when you start off, you know, they are kind of more friendly and happy. You know, there's, there's resources available, things you can buy. Um, mm -hmm. As you get further and further through the game, and I think it's the town of Yomi is the the last town you get to, and it's right mm -hmm. across the bridge from Castlevania. Right. It's just a shithole. Yeah. And, and I mean, it's it's weird to it's weird. it's weird to say that because it's a you know two dimensional eight bit game, mm -hmm. but like there's no church in the town. Mm -hmm. There's like no people out. Like it's it really has that feel of just like man, this place sucks. <laughs> yeah. well, and there's no color either. I mean, it's, right. It's, it's the gray, gray background compared gray to some of the purples and, and the blues. Yeah. 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 
And it's just like you, you have this feeling that something is either going to jump out at you or, you know, nothing is there at all, uh, which I always thought was, was really cool. Yeah. And considering, you know, you leave there, you go through what I think is the creepiest graveyard in the game. Mm-hmm. And then you cross a bridge and you're in a Dracula's castle. And it's just right. like, there's, there's nothing there. And that, that town, I, I can remember getting there for the first time as a kid and mm-hmm. just thinking like, oh, great. Like one last place that I can heal up before I go in. And it's like, uh-huh. nope, <laughs> like, there's nothing here. Um, you can then continue to go. And even as you get further, and this is actually touching on one of two very minor complaints that I have about the game mm-hmm. is that when you finally get into Castlevania, then like even it's desolate and empty. Mm-hmm. Um, there's not a single enemy in the place other than Dracula. Right. And it's just like, there's collapsed columns. There's just stone. It's just an empty crypt, mm-hmm. um, which for atmosphere purposes is great for gameplay purpose is a little disappointing. Yeah. And that's that was going to be my other sort of complaint too. Is um, there's really only what three bosses in the game? Uh, right. You have the Grim Reaper, you have the uh, the Mask, and then you have Dracula, right? Right. So I, looking back on it now, I guess um, you know there's definitely some room for improvement as far as more enemies or more bosses. But you know, I wonder if it's also sort of just a if it was a design decision you know, to add to that desolation that yes, some of these places are empty and you're not always going to fight a boss, but when you do, uh, you know, it's going to be kind of a shock and I don't know, but. Uh, well, and this game took that convention of here's what you expect from a video game and threw it out the window. Mm-hmm. And I think that's why, you know, when I was a kid watching this, I'm like, wait, this isn't like super Mario brothers. Like it's completely different. And the fact that, I mean, when I do a playthrough, unless I'm going for a completion, I don't even fight the Grim Reaper. You know, he gives yeah. you the mad. He gives you, you the magic the golden dagger. Nope, don't even care. Yeah. yeah. Um. So you can walk right past him mm-hmm. and uh, just ignore him. And I, I love that concept that you know, here's death like floating <laughs> over your head, and you're just like, mm-hmm. hey, buddy, I'm 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 not here for you, and I'm going to go right. do something else. Yeah. Uh, um, Carmilla, you have to fight her because she has the cross. But uh, yeah, that's the name. I couldn't um, think of what it was. Yeah. Um, but yeah, de- death, you can completely skip him. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know, I, I, my other complaint as far as bosses is um, how ridiculously easy Dracula is. Yes. Uh, I mean, it's just, you can just spam him with, you know, the, the sacred flame or the golden dagger and there's really no challenge to it. No. Um, and, and that was my, that's my second complaint of the game is that mm-hmm. it's the, it's not the easy aspect of it, but it's, it's the fact that I feel like it has so much potential to have so much more meat in this game. Mm-hmm. But like, um, like for the inventory, as an example, there's so many items that you can find in this game. Yeah. And ha- half of them, in my opinion, are completely useless. Yeah. Um, most, most playthroughs I go through, I never pick up the dagger. I never get the silver knife, the gold knife. Mm-hmm. Uh, don't get the diamond. Never yeah. touch garlic or laurels. Um, silk bag I don't get. And it's just like, yeah. you don't need any of it. And but on the other there hand, are uses for them. Yeah. I think the reason that you're not getting them too, though, is after we've played it so much, we know, you know, uh, the fastest routes and the best ways to go. But, you know, the first time that you're playing it, every time you're getting a new item, it's almost like, oh, wow, what does this do? And, uh, you know, what, what use will this have? It's just, I think after being familiar with the game for so long, you start to realize how many things are, are not really needed. But 
I guess on your first playthrough, you might think, oh, this is cool. I need to see what else is out there. Yeah, and, and that's true. And that happens with a lot of games. Um, you know, the Legend of Zelda is another example where I you know, skip half the inventory. Most times I play through it. Um, but at least some of those items do have a purpose. Whereas I feel like in this case, like there's never really a time where I would throw a dagger at an enemy versus just whipping them because the whip is just as good. Um, and so like a, like a dagger only playthrough or some crazy shit like that. I don't know. Yeah. Which would, which would be very interesting. Um, but yeah, there's, so I, I guess those are my only two complaints. And the only two things that keep this from being a perfect game, in my opinion, is mm-hmm. the items for the most part are useless and um, yeah, the, the the simplicity I think to to some degree, and you know I I forgive that because it is you know one of those things where I can play through it or I have played through it so many times like I just I know what's there. But yeah, and and really I mean this Simon's Quest was kind of a, a stepping stone. I mean I I think we wouldn't have had Symphony of the Night if we didn't have Simon's Quest, mm-hmm. you know, and and the chance for them to do something different, even though it it might not have worked in retrospect. I mean I'm sure it sold quite a few copies, you know, in the beginning, and there was a ton of uh, positive press for it. But I think over time, as more Castlevania games came out, people started to look at Simon's Quest and think, well, you know, maybe it wasn't that great. I still enjoy it. Um, I know it's one of your favorites as well, but um, I think it's important in the series that, you know, they were still able to go back to it later on and kind of, you know, build upon what was done. So, And I'm glad that they did, because like you said, these second installments tended to be the black sheep mm-hmm. and by and large like they i mean that's this isn't always the case but in a lot of cases like they ended up being my favorites sure. uh, i love zelda 2 i mm-hmm. love ninja gaiden 2 i love castlevania 2 and um you know there's there's a, some really good to be had from there but mm-hmm. so many so much of the backlash came from people loved the first one now we get another game that's so different and they're like, well, you changed everything. It's like, well, you can't say that you changed everything because there was no formula yet. There wasn't a template that we had to stick to. Right. So what elements are what make this the thing that people identify with? Mm-hmm. Once they kind of figured that out, then for part three, they go back to it, yeah. made people happy, and most people overlooked part twos. Sure. And it's like, that's a, that's a shame, in my opinion. Yeah. But, and I think, you know, in the last probably 10 years or so, I, I think that Castlevania 2 has kind of gotten a... a a bad rap a little bit and i don't know if that's just you know attributed to the angry video game nerd or if it's just um, a different generation growing up and playing it for the first time but you know i, I still feel like it kind of uh, gets a bad rap and i think there's there's more to the game that uh you know that meets the eye and i think maybe it's because a lot of mainstream games now are so adamant on telling you where to go and what to do uh that something like this is completely different where they don't really tell you what to do and where to go. I mean, there's clues, but, you know, again, uh, you see the struggle with uh, people trying to use the red crystal and, and some of the tornado or anything that's kind of really esoteric and out there. Mm-hmm. But, well, and I think you just nailed exactly on the head why, you know, this is one of my favorites and exactly defined me as a gamer is that my biggest pet peeve with a video game is one that holds my hand and tells me where to go. Um, So something like this is destined to be on my top five list. Um, Mm -hmm. So yeah, it completely works for me. And I I love the fact that you, yeah, there are clues everywhere, but as we've said, a lot of them are lies or a lot of them are bad translations and you kind of still have to take everything with a grain of salt. 
the lady that tells you don't look into the Death Star. Uh, I always thought that was really funny. Like yeah. the Death Stars in this game. <laughs> uh, like that's just the translation. So right. Uh, but you know the other thing to consider too is years ago we didn't get new games every week. I mean, games weren't releasing all the time. So when a game came out, it was kind of a big deal. And especially considering the cost of them adjusted for inflation and everything now, um, and the fact you couldn't trade them in, once you had a game, I mean, you had it for a long time. And I think another reason that um, I, I enjoyed retro games so much is back in the day is being able to talk about them with, you know, um, other people in school and, and share tips and strategies or even, you know, making up bullshit as far as like, Oh, if you do this, then this will happen. Or, uh, and I think that's one of the other reasons why this game uh, was so enjoyable then is because, you know, if you found something, if you discovered something, then you would be like, Oh, I just went through the wall and there's this tornado and I don't know how I did it. Uh, yeah. You know, we were kind of lost on today. We were collectively discovering the game together. Um, exactly. That's a good way to over, over a long period of time, you know? Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So I think it goes without saying that this is a, a high recommend for me. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely, I mean, it's, it's sort of got that black sheep of the series kind of thing to it, but I think it's, it's really worth checking out and it's still one of my favorites. Um, so I think that would pretty much wrap up our review. However, I feel like I can't, you know, maybe, maybe this is like a childhood dream finally coming true, but mm-hmm. I grew up watching all of these old TV shows and things where there were, you know, tips and tricks always given out. And I always like, was like, I want to be that guy. That's like, <laughs> knows how to give out tips. Like I'm, I'm that guy you go to. So I feel like I'm finally being given an opportunity here. So yeah. I'm going to take advantage of it. Tips and tricks. We're going to, we're going to have our tips and tricks section, you know, on each of these, which I understand they're obsoleted because we have the internet and strategy guides and everything else, that's but, right. you know, it's the kind of thing where the listeners get to enjoy the uh, three or so decades of experience that Wes and I have put together. <laughs> right, right. Um, so a couple of tips that I was kind of writing down as I was doing my multiple playthroughs the last couple of weeks are, number one, if you are trying to go for a you know kind of quick run, like we, we kind of hinted at it, but there are three different endings you can get to this game. Mm-hmm. Um, it's based on how many total days it takes you to get through. I think it's... Uh, Basically, one week will get you the best ending. Mm-hmm. Uh, between a week and two weeks, will get you the normal ending, as they call it. And then the, the worst ending is if it's more than two weeks. And the probably the best advice I can give to people if they want to try to get the better endings is there are times where you're going to have to do some you know grinding to get hearts to be able to buy some of the better whips or some of the mm-hmm. equipment. Sure. Always do that in a mansion because time stops when you get in there. Hmm. Okay. Um, so I usually, like when I start the game, I buy the white crystal right away, mm-hmm. head straight for Berkeley Mansion, and just kill monsters there until I have enough to go back and buy the holy water and the chain whip. Oh, um, okay. I, I skip the thorn whip completely. Um, All right. See, this is interesting because I'm going to find out that you're you're doing things differently than I do. Okay. Oh. Um, but yeah, so if you do that, then I think you end up needing like 200 hearts by the time I leave Berkeley. Go back to Jova. You can buy the holy water, then head back over and uh, in Viros by the, the uh, chain whip then, but mm-hmm. you're not wasting time collecting hearts out in the wilderness where, you know, the clock is ticking. Yeah. Um, you can do all that in the mansions and save time. Interesting. Um, another little time saver that I found is if you, you can level up in the game by getting a certain number of hearts. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and each time you do, it'll give you a little bit more health and refill your health gauge. A lot of times, if you're close to leveling up, that's a better way to refill your health than to wander all over town looking for the church. Yes. Um, because those stairs especially can slow you down significantly. So um, unless it's dire importance and I'm on my last life and I've already got like 300 hearts saved up and dying will you know, bankrupt me, um, I either just you know, let myself die or wait till I get the level to heal rather than mm-hmm. going to the churches. But Which um, I have to, that made me think of something else too. Um, playing this as a kid, I never really, maybe I just didn't know about the level up feature. Right. I was associated yeah. with... Um, at one point when I was playing, uh, one of the mermen jumped out and I think um, I killed him in the air and I jumped up and I grabbed the heart. And as I did that, I leveled up. And so for some reason, I always tended to associate like um, like it being a health refill because I found like this secret heart that I had to jump up and get. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Well, and it, I mean, it, it stands to reason that as kids, we weren't as good in, at games as we are now. Um, well, and it doesn't really tell you that there's an experience system or a level system. I mean, no. Yeah, it's there, but you don't have a counter to, to tell you like how many more battles until you level up. Well, and it's confusing too because I think you can get up to like sixth level mm-hmm. if you do everything, but like the game is kind of portioned out in regions, and like in in the in the first region, you know, kind of around Jova, like you can get up to third level, but not past that. So any additional hearts you collect, your experience doesn't keep going up. So mm-hmm. as a as a kid, I always thought like, oh, second level is as high as you can get. And then huh. that's where it caps off because I quit gaining experience points, not realizing that, okay, once you get, you know, up north, you know, over the cliff, you start getting XP again. Um, but yeah, the instruction books back then, like they didn't tell you anything, no. you know, so you, you figured it all out. Yeah, um, pretty much. Uh, the only other two tips that I found in this game that I always kind of use are it, when you die, if when you, once you've lost all three of your lives, you can, you know, have the option to either continue or end. Mm-hmm. Um, and depending on which version you're playing, it's either, you know, save your game or get your password. Yeah. Either way, when you restart, it automatically puts you back in the starting town of Jova, which depending on where you are on the map, uh, that can be a really quick way to, move yourself yeah. a really big distance around Transylvania. Uh-huh. Um, you don't want to do it if you're close to leveling or if you have a lot of hearts, because it'll take them all away. But um, hmm. that that could be useful if you're, you know, way the hell on the other side of the you know world and you want to make a quick jump, just kill yourself and warp, basically. <laughs> I never thought of that. That's actually kind of interesting. Hmm. Uh, and the last one that I found, which I think is really useful, is... As a kid, I think we were all accustomed to throwing holy water out, you know, and taking full advantage of the infinite supply you had to look mm-hmm. for pits and things in the dungeons. Sure. Um, however, if you also notice that skeletons are perfect for this, mm-hmm. they just always walk back and forth, but they'll stop right before a pit. They will. Yeah. So use the skeletons to tell you where pit traps are. Yeah. Um, if if one of them suddenly does a 180, there's a pit right in front of it. Let's, let's talk about the the pits for a second, and specifically the fact that. Um, it's almost kind of cruel that uh, in this game that there are just blocks that look like normal blocks that you just fall through. Yep. Uh, and it's something, I don't know if this is probably a tired phrase to use, but you know, if this is, if Castlevania 2 is the Dark Souls of the series, um, it, if this exists merely um, to frustrate the player, uh, or if it's just something that, because you know, sometimes you're not even thinking, you're just walking past like, oh shit, I fell. <laughs> uh, I gotta go back, you know, back up the stairs and go around. 
Um, um, I, I, I don't know. I, I think it's kind of to add some challenge to the game. Sure. Because the other thing you'll notice is that as you go through the five mansions, um, those pits become more and more insidious. Mm-hmm. Um, early on, it's just kind of like, okay, I fell down. Now I have to backtrack through, you know, couple seconds worth of dungeon um kind of toward the middle you fall and it's like oh man like now i've got to retrace the entire dungeon there's a couple toward the end i think in um la ruba mansion especially like that there's pits that drop you right on top of spikes Mm -hmm. um and it happens a lot so you it's you know they they get very you know devious as you go along Mm -hmm. and um i i I like that aspect of it Um, and i think that it kind of counterbalances the fact that we haven't really talked about this a ton, but you know this this was the black sheep of the franchise, especially the trilogy for sure. Mm-hmm. But when you compare this to Castlevania one or three, the biggest differences you'll notice is that the the difficulty level is just so drastically different. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, Castlevania is known for being just notoriously unrelenting in its difficulty mm. and you know i don't know how many walls were punched in drywall by kids back in the <laughs> 80s because of that game but i'm sure it's more than a handful and uh, so i kind of wonder if some of the simplicity of this wasn't kind of to counteract that you know we're saying like instead of making castlevania impossible we'll make it empty how about that um well but so. there's still some difficulty that um especially if day turns to night or anything like that where the enemies get stronger and require uh, more hits to to dispatch, especially if you don't have a strong whip. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I think that can be challenging too. I mean, especially if you're carrying the leather whip and uh, you run into an area where all of a sudden everything takes four hits and then it turns to night and everything takes eight hits. um, Then the challenge becomes a little bit more um, uh, difficult, I think. Well, and it's exactly the kind of thing that we were talking about uh, with you know modern games. Like this is an open world game, even though that concept didn't exist back then. Sure. And sure. I would say nonlinear, but yeah, yeah, you know, and yeah. you could very easily go into an area that you're not intended to go to. Like mm-hmm. from the start, if you go west instead of east, you're screwed. Like there's, you're not killing those two-headed monsters with a leather whip and without the you know Dracula's rib. Sure so. Just need a uh, NES Advantage or Turbo Controller of some sort. Okay, yeah. <laughs> the emulator with the rewind button. But nah, nah, forget the emulators. Real hardware. <laughs> no. no, it's interesting um, um, that you were bringing up you know, some of your tips and tricks, though, because it made me think that there's things that you do that, that I don't do as far as, like, I almost never get the chain whip. Uh, okay. Like, for instance, I start with the leather whip, and I go, and uh, it, sometimes it depends. Like, I might buy the white crystal first so I can see the elevator. And sometimes I just buy the holy water first and then just move on to the first mansion. And I know that having played it for so much, I know that where the elevator is when it's going up and down. And especially if you get into that mansion right away and you just you know run forward and just jump, you'll catch the elevator as it's going up, right. even if you can't see it. So, um, so I've always gone through that first and then gone you know farther right, um, gathering up a lot of hearts and stuff like that. And I'll do like two mansions and then I'll come back and I'll buy the thorn whip and then I'll go on from there. But then I'll go from the thorn whip to the morning star. Okay. Um, and then the flame whip, of course there. So I, I skipped the chain whip pretty much completely. So I don't know. Just different. I know. Yeah. Yeah. And there's, I mean, there's no right way to play a game like this. It's just, it's interesting to see, you know, various mm-hmm. ways that you go through it or even for that matter, which order you do the mansions in, you know, there's, yeah. That's true. And again, that's one of the the reasons why I wanted to do this show is really 
um, you know, talking about sharing those experiences that that we've all had and and learning different tips and tricks and finding different ways to uh, to tackle these games. And I think that's another um, you know positive thing to uh, to most retro games as a whole, in that we're still talking about them. Mm-hmm. You know, and there's still things to to discover and do differently. Yeah, I was gonna just say the exact same thing because I've so many of these games that we're gonna talk about on the show. I've played through you know more times than I could count, mm-hmm. but I can guarantee that there are still things that I'm gonna find or discover if you know I take the time to actually kind of dig in a little bit more. Sure. Um, there's there there are secrets everywhere. You know, I don't know that I've ever done a completion playthrough of this where I tried to find all 13 clues. Oh um, yeah, yeah, we were talking about that. Yeah. Oh, over the course of the game, I'm sure I've come around or come upon all of them, mm-hmm. but um, to actually have one game where I know that I got all 13 in the same playthrough, I don't know if that's ever happened or not. But um, yeah. you know, that's another challenge that you could have, and I guarantee that even with a game that I've played dozens and dozens of times, that's another way that I could be challenged by a game that I know like the back of my hand. Mm-hmm. So sure. All right. So anything else we want to talk about about uh, Castlevania 2 here before we wrap up episode one? Uh, you know, the one thing I would say that kind of makes me sad, the more I think about it, um, not so much that this would benefit from a, a full-on remake, but uh, I'm really disappointed that they never did a full-on Castlevania RPG um, using, you know, this style of mechanics. Uh, because mm-hmm. I think I think Castlevania 2 is right for being maybe not a turn-based RPG, but, um, you know, it definitely has some RPG elements to it. And I think that um, it would have been really cool, especially back then, to get you know, sort of a, an eight-bit Castlevania role-playing game. Sort of that is interesting, and you know, the this franchise as a whole took many, many different turns. Mm. And you know, as it got more and more modern, it kind of played with the 3D, uh, you know, format a little bit. Which could, you know, you could argue whether that actually worked or not. It kind of seemed to settle on the you know Metroidvania style mm. that they were calling it, sure. um, which yeah, I know that this kind of set the groundwork for that. Um, but then it just kind of after Symphony of the Night, you know, took off. Um, but yeah, like a full-on RPG, you know, we never really saw. And I, I think that this particular game has a world that's so interesting and unique. Um, there's so many little regions and, you know, all the fo- different forests and the swamps and the cemeteries. Like, yeah. I mean, hell, those five mansions, you know, flesh those out more. Like, you mm-hmm. could have, you have a world that's just ripe for, you know, adventure in this case. Yeah. And it's never really happened. Um, touched on a little bit in Order of Ecclesia, mm-hmm. um, but not near as much as the potential lens for it. So yeah, yeah, and it's too bad. But uh, you know, it's one of those things we can always kind of uh, you know wonder what if and speculate a little bit. But if I was um, any sort of game designer, I would totally make an RPG. Uh, you know, using Castlevania Two as the framework. I actually had taken um, you know another nerd side of me as I uh, run a D and D game once a week. Hmm. And there was a game I ran a couple couple years ago, maybe that was set in the the Ravenloft world. Mm-hmm. And I actually took the Castlevania II world map that w- that was in Nintendo Power. Oh yeah, um, and used that as the world map. And so, like, I had all the mansions, I had all the different villages in there as this D and D world, and it it worked perfectly for that kind of setting. Well, speaking of the uh, Ravenloft, do, did you want to talk about the uh, the box art? <laughs> yeah, so I posted that on Facebook today. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't, I don't honestly know the full story because there's very, very little information out there. Right. But if you've ever seen the um, 
the cover of Castlevania two, which I'm sure if you're listening to this, you have um, the the background is strikingly similar to one of the D and D modules that came out three or four years earlier, mm-hmm. uh, titled Ravenloft. Which in that story, you are you know the heroes are going into this giant maze of a castle, you know, to kill a vampire lord, uh, very mm-hmm. similar to a Castlevania style. But I mean, the the artwork is just very very clearly ripped off. Yeah. Um, now there's no information as to whether there were actually lawsuits or any you know conversation about that mm. other than a year later when the game came out in europe the cover art was just simon with the whip and the gray and blue background and the castle and dracula were completely removed mm. so mm-hmm. i don't know if that was because of legal reasons or you know some other reason but uh, i don't know i mean i think you know at least from my recollection, I don't think at this point that video games were were big enough that you know that there was a lot of copyright infringement on there. It might have been more of like an homage, I guess, as far as from the from the art perspective. Probably, um, but it's hard to say because, um, like you said, there's not a lot of um, story or background on you know some of the the art in this, and a lot of that actually um, comes from the fact that. Um, a lot of the original artwork and uh, for Simon's Quest and some of the early Castlevania games were actually lost in the Great Hanshin Earthquake of 1995. So um, you have a large chunk almost of gaming history that has kind of disappeared, um, unfortunately, because of a uh, natural disaster. Which right. Is, uh, you know, kind of sad. So, I mean, it's, and that's the thing, you know, we're, we're interested in retro games. We, we want to you know, learn more about them and, and see, you know, Sort of how the sausage was made, I guess, so to speak, and uh, it's it's kind of disappointing and sad when, you know, that, that history doesn't exist anymore. Yeah, some of that's gone, and now you know it's the other thing that I've noticed is that so much of the information that's out there now is I'm going to use the word tainted, and I don't mean this in a negative way, but like everything is now tainted by you know modernizations of games. Mm-hmm. So like it's very difficult to find you know images of Simon Belmont on the internet that's not you know, the Simon from the, it was a Castlevania resurrection. Like it's everything now has that kind of modern look and it's, you know, the, to find old artwork from say the old instruction manual is actually pretty difficult to track some of that stuff down just because it's yeah. not, nobody well, cares, you know, I anymore. Think, I think the other thing too, though, is a lot of the, um, at the time, a lot of the artists weren't really credited and it, right. it's yeah. much later on that we started to discover you know, some of the, the names behind, you know, some of the more uh, memorable uh, pieces of art. You start to learn, you know, who actually illustrated this, and who did that. Uh, I don't know. Well, and this was from an era, you know, that just kind of like we were saying, nobody expected sequels or franchises. No. Nobody expected video games to be a thing. No. Um, <laughs> we had had Pong, we had had Atari, you know, Commodore, you know, those simple machines. Mm-hmm. But, you know, when the NES hit the U.S., like okay, this was just a toy that kids played with, but yeah. nobody thought that this was going to lead to an entire culture. No. Especially um, coming out of the, the crash of 84. I mean, you know, everybody thought games were dead. Yeah, yeah. So the fact that now, you know, 30 years later, there's going to be two nerds who are sitting here recording a radio show about uh, Castlevania II was probably, you know, mind-blowing to them. <laughs> I'm sure people were recording on cassettes back then, too. Yeah. <laughs> just mailing the tapes out. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, I think that's uh, pretty much wraps up what we have to say about um, Castlevania Two. I mean, there's always more we could say, but uh, you know, I, I think that's this was my 
this is what I wanted to do for the show is just, you know, really uh, reminisce about it and, and just kind of talk about it. And I think we've, I think we've achieved that. I mean, anybody can go on to Wikipedia and read, you know, every facet of the game, but you know, I don't know. I still enjoy it. I, I think it's a fun game to play through. I will probably play it series, but I do enjoy playing it. I will probably play it again tomorrow, you know, just because, you know, right. <laughs> All right. So assuming people are interested in our show and they liked what they heard so far, why don't you give them the information of where they can find us? Sure. Um, so we are going to be hosting the show on the geek nerdery website, uh, which is geeknerdery.com. Um, you'll be able to stream it there. You'll be able to download it. Um, we're also going to be on iTunes. Uh, we have a Facebook page uh, under the Graveyard Duck, Graveyard Duck Podcast. Um, we are on Twitter um, at Duck Graveyard uh, because Graveyard Duck was taken. And I think Duck Graveyard, um, as you said, I think you said it, it sounded really morbid. <laughs> Gross. Like. <laughs> yeah. The, the duck Graveyard, we're just, just dead ducks just laying around. So. It's where uh, we hang out. Yeah. So um, if you want to reach out to us on Twitter, it's at Duck Graveyard. Um, you can send us an email at graveyardduckpodcast at gmail.com. Um, you know, and just any anything that you remember about playing Castlevania 2 or any memories that you have, we'd love to hear them. Um, so feel free to share them. And, you know, please please like and subscribe. I hate to say that because everybody does it. But, uh, you know, um, we, we really are going to enjoy doing the show and we look forward to it. And we hope that hope that you enjoy listening to it as well. Yeah, I think we can get a good, uh, you know, nostalgia-based community going for this kind of thing. And mm-hmm. there's there's going to be games that you guys love and you want to hear our thoughts on or whatever. So send suggestions as well. And uh, again, thank you for listening and uh, always keep playing. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, for Graveyard Duck, uh, I'm Wes. I'm Scott. And uh, be sure to write down your passwords properly. <laughs>